0: You're listening to Alamo City Limits Podcast with Noah Magaro-George, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of Pounding the Rock in SB Nation.
1: What's going on Spurs fans? Welcome back to Alamo City Limits, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of SB Nation and Pounding the Rock. As always, I'm your host, Nomogaro George. That's my co-host, Damian Bartonek. And today we're diving into our annual season prediction pod as the Silver and Black prepare for their season opener against the Charlotte Hornets. But before we talk about basketball, how are you doing, Dame?
0: Doing well, man. It's Tuesday over here. Obviously, I mean we're only hours apart, but it's Tuesday. <laughs> Tuesdays are always fun because you know I get to kickbox and spar. So busy life, right? You know, we and I, you and I talk on the air, but off the air about you know everything going on in our lives. We're both really busy, but uh, really glad to be here and chat about the Spurs. But I'm very excited for this year, even though they won't be winning very many games.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll get into that in just a second, but. Just so our listeners are in the loop, we're recording this on October 18th at about 9 p.m. Central time. And with that out of the way, let's go ahead and hop into the content. The Spurs just finalized their opening night roster last night, waving Tommy Cusey, Alizé Johnson, and Joe Wieskamp after a rough one and four preseason in which all three Honestly, just struggled to be productive with younger options ahead of them on the depth chart. And San Antonio has now trimmed down to 17 players. So let's briefly discuss what we saw from everyone during the preseason and maybe talk about how that impacts their role heading into the year. And let's switch things up from last time and we'll go oldest to youngest. And and I guess that means we're going to start with Gorgie Jing. So Dame, what were your impressions of Gorgie Jing during the preseason what did you like? What didn't you like? And he's one of the older guys on this roster, so we don't really need to spend a lot of time here with him.
0: So I remember earlier on, like in our training camp pod, we were talking about how, like, we didn't want to see much of, like, Gorgie Jang, like, at all, right? Uh, I think an interesting little tidbit quote is from Tom Orsborn saying that, you know, Jang and Doug will kind of step in, but they want Keldon and Devin to lead. I think that's pretty interesting because that's completely contrary to what you and I thought uh, about, you know, Gorgie. I didn't think we'd see much of him. But I think we actually might see a good chunk of him and really anyone in that front court outside of Jacoperto, you're going to see a little mix of everybody. As far as, you know, what I saw, really what his game is, right? It's like, you know, respect to him, but I've seen Gorgie, if you see him play once, you've seen him play it a thousand times, yeah. right? A lot of stationary threes, you know, solid and drop coverage. Just a veteran big man, right? Nothing nothing too flashy, nothing crazy. But at the same time, too, I think a a solid veteran presence that I'm excited to watch uh, in stretches. I don't want to see him play no 30 minutes a game now, (laughs) but in stretches, I I could appreciate it.
1: Yeah, I thought he was fine during the preseason. I thought he looked fairly good defensively. He had some nice dimes from the elbows. So, yeah, I mean, we we can kind of sum it up real quick with him. Good depth insurance, you know, in case anything happens to someone like Zach Collins during the year. But really shouldn't play too much. We'll keep things moving on here. Doug McDermott, 30 years old. And I just wanted to start off here with Doug McDermott saying that Pop said, you know, we want to see him come off the bench. He can add to us offensively, give us a push, a spark, a jump. That's his major skill. He knows it. He likes it. And who wouldn't be able, who wouldn't like to have that green light to shoot? So, Dame, I think it's pretty obvious, right? This is going to be a guy who we thought may start. But now we definitively know that he's going to be coming off the bench. And so, look, I don't really think that Doug McDermott is going to be here past the trade deadline. We kind of got into that in the last pod. But, he is what he is as well. We're not going to see some tremendous growth from him or anything, but he's going to do his job. He's going to shoot the ball. He's going to relocate. He's going to cut. We don't have to spend a lot of time with him, but what are your thoughts on him just briefly?
0: Yeah, same thing with Doug. I thought what was very interesting is the the, the bench quote there because uh, especially you, you were kind of like, ah, bringing him off the bench, that's an expensive, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth man, right? It's pretty expensive, especially for a specialist, right? But I think it's—I think that's exactly what they need to do. It does make that bench lineup a little tricky for me. Uh, we'll talk about him later, but you know, with Primo, now you got Doug McDermott. You know, two guys who, you know, Primo is kind of—I would say—just more so just because he's, you know, not a veteran. He doesn't really have much seasoning as a defender. You got Doug McDermott, who uh, we will just talk about his defense another time. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of question marks on the defensive end for that bench unit. I feel. Now, offensively, they might be one of those, you know, extremely high offensive ratings and extremely high defensive ratings, because they're going to be giving up points, and they'll probably put the orange thing in the orange thing a good time, so Doug McDermott, same thing, man. I don't think he'll be here for the entirety of the year, but I could see Pop kind of clinging on to him this year as well, you know, hypothetically, and maybe moving off in, uh, in the offseason.
1: Definitely, and one final note, I know that he landed awkwardly on his wrist versus the Jazz, but... The x-rays came back negative. He's going to be ready for the season to start, so expect him to come off the bench. He's probably going to play 3-4. Keep things rolling here. Josh Richardson, another guy who we don't really need to spend a lot of time with. He also suffered an injury. It was a knee injury against New Orleans. He missed the rest of the preseason. He also sat out a couple of the scrimmages that the Spurs had in practice, but Pop said he's good to go. Clean bill of health. We know what we're getting from him, but do you have any quick thoughts on him? Because he's another one of those guys who we probably don't need to spend a lot of time on.
0: Yeah, same thing. Uh, another veteran, another guy that I thought the Spurs should have kept around, just for the sheer leadership ability. And obviously, I think kind of judging from the videos we see on social media, clearly he has a really good connection with the younger guys. Yeah. So he's kind of like one of those perfect kind of you know hybrid you know guard forwards that can not only lead by example on the floor with some you know kind of veteran uh, little tidbits here and there, but also in the locker room. So I like Josh Richardson. I think he's a, a really good spur, and. Even if, you know, you don't trade him, I don't think you're in a bad spot where you're like, oh my goodness, you missed out on so much value. I think it's fine to keep him around. So, yeah, kudos to Josh Richardson, and I hope to to see him in a lot of games this year.
1: I think those are basically my thoughts as well, right? You're going to get his shooting, his off-ball movement, his defense, his leadership. Those are all going to be vital. Really just instilling those good habits, good practices into the younger players. And really what stood out to me, and I know we've talked about him in the past, but he came to the San Antonio Spurs. Really young team last season. Easily could have been upset that he was getting a bunch of DNPs, that he was coming off the bench, that he wasn't getting any on-ball reps. But he pretty much just stayed silent, did what he needed to do, really good off-ball, was a great leader for the young guys. He was hyping them up at the end of games. He was in their ear during crunch time. So, like, you really can't complain about him. Now, one question I do have with them is... Is he going to get more on-ball, sort of ball-handling, secondary pick-and-roll ball-handler reps because they want to raise his trade value? And also, there just really aren't that many ball-handlers who are on this roster that are proven. So that's a question I think that I want to see answered throughout the season. But we can keep things moving. Jakob Purtle definitely don't need to spend a lot of time with him. We know what he is. Rim protector, great screener. I think the one question that we should kind of talk about maybe just a little bit is the trade market. Dame, is he a guy who you absolutely think they should move on from at some point this season? Or do you think that he's worth keeping around for the rebuild? Like, even if you were to, by some miracle, land Wimbenyama, and we won't talk about Wimbenyama on this podcast, but if you did land him, is he worth keeping around?
0: I feel like he is like a really solid big man to keep around, especially for like your developing, uh, your guards that you're developing, whether it's Wesley, Branham, Primo, uh, whomever else you draft, right? Any guard. Uh, even Trey Jones right he's a perf- he's a really good role man a uh, really good defender and drop coverage kind of you know an elite defender all around in my opinion uh, moves well even though he has heavy feet I feel st- I still feel like he moves really well really good finisher i I, I like yco Perto I think he's a really good high floor big so honestly Noah, I would personally look to keep him now if you're looking at you know four years a hundred something million. That's another discussion, right? It has to be kind of fair. Obviously, he's going to get a much higher bump than the nine million he's on right now. But if you can keep him for you know $20 million, $21 dollars, million, I think he. I think that's fine. Uh, and like I said, another a high floor option really gives you something consistent. And with a young team, you're going to have a lot of inconsistency. So having a five that can give you some sort of just camaraderie and just consistent effort play, I think you got to go with that. So I like Jakob. I would keep him. At the same time, though. If you had a really good deal on the table, you know, that changes kind of the, the deal here.
1: Yeah, I think that's kind of where I am as well. I actually talked to Bobby Marks earlier today because I wanted some clarification. There are so many things that go on with the cap, with how contracts work. It's easy to get confused, so I kind of reached out to him for some clarity. So basically, he's in a similar boat that DeJounte Murray was in. The Spurs have until June 30th of 2023 to extend him, right? But they can only offer him an extension based off of his last extension. So it'll be in the ballpark of four years, 60-something million. That's way under market value. If I'm Pirtle, I'm not even entertaining that. If I'm his agent, I'm not even going to pick up the phone and listen to that. And with that being said, that basically means that he's going to be an unrestricted free agent. He can sign with whoever he wants to. Even if they offer him less money, he can walk. I don't think you want to let him walk for nothing. Maybe he does want to stick around for the rebuild. But I think it is worth looking... What can you get for him? And if we're talking about one, what can you get for him, I know that the Spurs were looking at PJ Washington, Kai Jones, and they also wanted a first-rounder from Charlotte a year ago. Charlotte said, no, we basically only want to give you the value of two first-rounders. That is as much as we're willing to go. And I think that's fair, right? Two first f- first first-rounders for Jakob Purtle, whether that's protected, unprotected, I think that's a good value. And before we move on from him, I did think it was interesting, Dame. He led the Spurs in assists per game during the preseason. Lots of elbow passes, lots of post-up passes, lots of short-roll passes. They really got him involved. Now there were a lot of turnovers as well, but I thought it was, I mean, a little bit interesting. So if you don't have any thoughts on that, we don't have to linger on that too long. But if you did, I'd love to hear him.
0: No, I, I definitely, I see a lot of what you see from Jakob. I just think he's a really interesting player, very underrated player, and someone that doesn't have a lot of flash, right? But he's like he's like chicken alfredo, bro. He's just so consistent, so solid. <laughs> it doesn't matter where you get it from, it's gonna be pretty good. And he's pretty good. As far as the next player though, debates Diop. I'm not gonna lie, man. I thought I thought it was over for KBD in San Antonio. I, I was <laughs> not I was not expecting KBD to come back. But you know, lo and behold, I think as a, you know, a versatile defender, kind of a your your. If you had to draw a role player, right, in terms of what exactly you need it's KBD. Now, he's not, you know, an upper echelon of role players, right? He's, you know, towards the end of the bench, but he's kind of a guy that you need maybe, you know, on a on an off night in, I don't know, in, in Sacramento, you might need him to play, you know, 18 to 20 minutes, right? I think he kind of fills that role as kind of an end of the bench kind of guy. I wasn't expecting him to, you know, stick on, stick on the team, but hey, man, crazy things have happened, and I think as long as he's there, they do need another forward. I think their front court they need all the help they can get. And there you go.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Pop started him like a handful of games during the preseason over Sohan, over Doug McDermott. So I think clearly he trusts him. I don't know where he really fits in the lineup right now, according to the depth chart that I've written down. I think he'll probably play quite a bit of three or four, depending on what they want to do with Doug McDermott. But yeah, I mean, he is what he is. Good cutter, versatile defender, as you mentioned. We know what he is. We don't really need to spend a lot of time here. We'll keep things moving. Zach Collins, you talked to him. He was really just pumped, it seemed, to come into an offseason, not be injured. And then he just really struggled. I mean, I don't know how to put it like lightly, but he looked pretty terrible during the preseason. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think it's maybe because he was pressing or maybe he was nervous? Or I don't know. What what are your just general thoughts on? how he performed during the preseason, because he only shot 36% from the field, lots of fouls, lots of turnovers. It wasn't good.
0: Yeah, he just didn't really look like he had a solid feel for the game. It felt like a lot of things were coming really fast to him, and especially kind of the stuff like the fouls and the turnovers. A lot of times for me, that's kind of a telltale sign. Either someone's like, the moment's too big for them, A, or B, they're just kind of not in the rhythm and flow of an NBA game, to be honest. And that's what I kind of got from him. I do think it's unfortunate, you know, he suffered a concussion as well, because we just you just mentioned how hey he hasn't had any injuries and now he has something like this. It's just it's kind of it's pretty brutal for him. But I do know he's very motivated to come into the season. I do know uh, that he's given max effort in the off and heading into this year. So the Zach Collins you see, whether he shines or whether he struggles, it's going to be max effort all the way. And uh, I'm really excited to see kind of the battle with, between him and the next player we'll talk about because that backup five spot is, is it's up for grabs. Someone needs it. Someone needs to grab it. And we'll see who it is.
1: <laughs> yeah, and that's the big question, Dame. Like, can he lock up that backup center position? It felt like his right. They gave him twenty one million dollars over three years. Of course, next year is completely unguaranteed if they cut him. I think it's like by the day after the twenty twenty three NBA draft. But Isaiah Roby. He looked good during the preseason. We talked about it before the preseason starts. Can shoot the three ball from a stationary position. Versatile defender. Can put the ball on the floor a little bit. Good passer in transition. Runs the floor in transition. He showed all of that during the preseason. And he played a lot of small ball five for the Thunder. I mean, could he take Zach Collins' spot if Collins just doesn't play well at the start of the season?
0: Oh, 100%. I don't think anyone's – I really don't think anything's you know, spot other than Keldon, Devin and Yakov is, is safe right now. I think anyone can be unseated at this point. And especially a guy like Zach Collins, because truthfully, both he and Isaiah Roby probably have proven the same amount in San Antonio. Right. And it's no, you know, shot at Zach. He just, he's been hurt. Yeah. <laughs> and in the games that we saw, you know, it's a, it takes a long, when you're out for that long, it's going to take just as long, probably to get to your normal self, the player that you know, you can be right. So between Zach and Isaiah, it's going to be one heck of a battle. Noah, and I do, I'm not going to lie, I, as much as I love making food references, I just love like <laughs> versatile basketball players just a little bit more. And he's just so versatile, man. And, and it's going to be very interesting to see who gets that backup five spot because it's up for grabs. And even then, he can play some three, some four, some five. But I think ideally, I would not mind seeing him as a, as a small ball five, to be honest.
1: No, I wouldn't either. And I do think it's interesting because he can play the three, like you said, the four, the five. And I think that gives him a lot of avenues. Like, even if, let's say, Zach Collins recovers and he plays really well, all right, well, that doesn't mean Isaiah Roby isn't in the rotation. He could still steal minutes from Doug McDermott, from Keita Bates-Diop. If someone gets traded, he could play those positions. And one more thing that I thought was really interesting during the preseason was he had some pretty good synergy with Jeremy Sohan, and that's a guy who's going to get a lot of minutes. Of course, he's a starter, but you have to imagine the minutes are going to be staggered. Occasionally, he's going to play with backups, and I like what they brought. They're switchable. They're versatile. They can put the ball on the floor. They can pass. Roby can shoot more than Sohan at this point, and we'll get into Sohan later, but I, like, I really do, honestly, I really do like Isaiah Roby, and the next guy who we'll talk about, Keldon Johnson, he's the star of the show for San Antonio. Now, Now that's not saying he is an all-star or a superstar, but he is the star of the show for San Antonio now that DeJounte Murray is gone. What did you like from the preseason? What didn't you like? And kind of what are you expecting from him this season?
0: So the thing I'm going to be looking most, I'll start with the last one. The thing I'm looking forward to most is a shout-out to Caroline Antique, friend of the show. she I think she or someone asked him, she posted the clip, of, of his diet and kind of like what changed and he hired a chef i knew it was nutrition anytime someone drops a lot of weight that's the number one reason you can work out as hard as you want it all starts and ends in the kitchen and he i, I want to see how he can use that you know weight loss but he's probably put on some solid muscle as well he's probably transitioned a lot of that fat into some muscle uh, some lean muscle He's probably been you know really really grinding out a lot of cable work and stuff like that i'm excited to see how that kind of New kind of athletic build he has because he's lean, especially in the shoulders and the chest. I want to see how he can uh, put that into motion, into action on the floor. As far as what I saw, still the same kind of thing, right? Really good in transition. Solid off a of handoff, solid off a of cuts. Stationary three-point shooter, right? Nothing crazy, nothing different. But I am very intrigued with the body, both him and Zion. Not saying the same <laughs> player, but I'm so intrigued with how their bodies have changed. And big ups to Kelden Johnson, man, because... Losing weight's really tough and especially when you have a lot of good food in San Antonio, it's even tougher.
1: Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I, I do think it's like kind of crazy that he lost the same amount of weight that I've lost from the beginning of the year in like a couple of months. Like that's to me, that's insane. Like he really has put in the work and I think it did show during the preseason, right? It looked like he was a little bit more mobile on the defensive and his feet weren't quite as heavy, a little bit shiftier with the ball. I thought he showed some more patience in the pick-and-roll. Now, he wasn't very good self-creating out of the pick-and-roll or off of isolations, and that's not really who he is as a player, but I think the Spurs will let him experiment. Let's see what he looks comfortable with in this new body, having refined his handle like he said he did. We'll see if that's true or not as the season goes on, but I think that's really only you know up from here for Keldon. Even if it is sort of a down year statistically in terms of his shooting percentages, because he will be the main focus of the defense, I think Pop is still utilizing him in the ways that make him successful. Like you mentioned, the dribble handoffs, the cutting, getting downhill using screens. I mean, I really just don't think that there's going to be a lot from Keldon that could disappoint me this season. So we've covered him pretty thoroughly. Now the next guy, you know he's my guy, Romeo Langford. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I don't think we need to spend a lot of time on him, but he did avoid becoming the final roster cut. He beat out Joe Wieskamp, Joe Wheezy, for that last <laughs> spot on the roster. I did feel bad for Joe Wieskamp, but Joe just didn't bring it during the preseason, man. He shot 17% from the field. Romeo Langford showed he could be a versatile defender, guard multiple positions. He has a lot of familiarity with that switch heavy system in Boston. He did that in San Antonio to a T during the preseason. I still think there are some warts with this game. He's not a great catch and shooter. He's not a guy who's moving super well without the ball, but there were flashes. And I know that the flashes were against the Jazz and the Jazz are also supposed to be bad, but clearly the front office looked at him. They said, he showed us enough. He's a former lottery pick. I hope he gets a few minutes this season, but really, Dane, we don't have to stick with him too long. He's my guy. I don't think he's going to get a lot of minutes, though.
0: Man, I, I was really, really happy for for Romeo to make this team because I know at Indiana, I loved him coming out, <laughs> and I, I, I'm just—I don't know, man. I think whenever you 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 know watch players, and especially you know you and I, whenever we're kind of watching NBA draft stuff. Man, you just once you kind of like not say like you cling on to a player, but you kind of really start to kind of break down their game, and you spend a lot of time just watching them. You do hope they succeed, man. I mean, it's just natural; it's human nature. And so to see him, you know, you know, on the Spurs and really kind of you know starting to hopefully kind of build something, mold something out of a career that's been kind of you know hurt by injuries and all kinds of other stuff. Man, I hope he he lasts. Uh, in San Antonio and makes a small impact. He may not have, you know, a ton of minutes, not as many minutes as the next guy we'll talk about. But at the same time, man, I am rooting for Romeo Langford. Now, I want to take the reins on this one because I want to kick it to you, and I Do really it. want you to break this guy down. But Trey Jones is the next guy, you know, 22 years old. A lot of people, Noah, have been upset because he's starting over Josh Primo. And I disagree with those people that are upset because I think he's the ideal point guard. For this, this team. And the reason I'm saying that is because right now this team is very inexperienced. You know They struggle with you know really <laughs> the fundamental offenses of, of what Pop wants you to do. He, what Pop wants you to do, operate within structure. It's a young team. They're not going to have very much structure. They're probably not going to work very well outside of it. So they need someone to kind of bring this together. That, my favorite reference, they want to make chicken parm. They got cutlets, they got noodles, and they got sauce. You need to make the dish. And you need a point guard that can help put the dish together. Trey Jones is that guy. I like Trey Jones. I think he's going to be a solid point guard. Nothing, you know, no all-star, you know, nothing like that. But uh, maybe uh, there's a player, like, like a Jose Calderon, like a like a minus version of Jose Calderon. That's all the Spurs <laughs> need out of him. There's a minus version of that, and, and they're fine, right? He, he's probably a backup point guard, you know, in the NBA. But even as a, a spot starter, he was fine last year, so... I'm happy with the Trey Jones, uh, you know, starting selection. And I think, honestly, man, I'm excited to see him and Jacoperto and their kind of synergy in the pick and roll. I can't wait to see how that looks.
1: Yeah, it'll be really intriguing to see kind of where that leads and how that develops. I know last year he started 11 games, 14 points per game in those games, five rebounds per game in those games, seven assists per game during those games. And he only had one turnover per game. So, like, you're looking at a guy who can just be that sort of game manager – That's Trey, and I think that's fine. One of the things he really talked about improving was his three-point shooting during the offseason. I think he showed it during the preseason. Now, DeJounte a year ago said the same exact theme, came out during the preseason, knocked down his three-point shots at a 40% clip. Trey Jones has now done the same thing. So how much stock can we buy into a low-volume three-point shooter who said, hey, I worked on my shot, knocked it down at a 40% clip during the preseason? I want to see it in action during the regular season. It needs to be sustained. I was happy that he was able to knock it down a couple off the dribble, a couple catch and shoot, but really until he does it over a stretch of 10, 15 games, I'm really not going to start buying it from Trey Jones. But with that said, I mean, I think he is the perfect starter. I think the real question is how long does he hold on to that title, do you think? And we'll talk about the guy who will be pretty much the only candidate to take it from him, but... Josh Primo, is he going to take it from him, or do you think Trey Jones remains the starter all season long?
0: Well, okay, you want me to answer that right now? Yeah, let's uh, do no, it. I, I, no, I think Primo's not. I, I honestly think Primo needs to be the sixth man for this, for this year. We'll talk about him a little bit later, but I don't think he's at all ready to play a starting caliber role on an NBA team right now. That's not to say, he, you know, maybe next year, but right now, no, there's so many kind of holes, and he just looks so inexperienced, like the game comes too fast to him, goes too fast for him sometimes. And I don't think Pop's going to rush that either. He's fine. I'm sure if Pop is content playing KBD, he's going to be content playing Trey Jones until Primo basically takes it from him. (laughs) That's what I think.
1: Yeah, and there's, I mean, like, literally, there's no reason to rush Primo. I was reading about Primo earlier today on Twitter. I don't remember who tweeted it out. I'll credit them if I see it later. But he's younger than half of the 2022 draft class that just happened. Like, there's no need to rush. You can take your time with him. He's not going anywhere. He's under contract. He's 19 years old. There's literally no reason to rush. So we'll keep on moving. We talked about Trey Jones just now. We're going to talk about his fellow draft classmate, Devin Vassell. What did you see from Devin? I thought it was kind of like a mixed bag for him in the preseason. But really, I don't think there's a lot to harp on, to be honest with you. I think there's just some variance in a small sample size.
0: Yeah, I think maybe I'm I'm starting to it's only the preseason but I'm starting to kind of taper a little bit back on the the self creation upside that I thought was there. I never thought he was going to be, you know, Luka Doncic. Uh but I thought, you know, maybe I think the plus version of Michael Bridges is something like you and I I especially me, I've been pounding the table with that comp for forever it feels like. But I'm starting to kind of taper back a little bit on that. As far as the off the ball stuff, I think he's still excellent. I think as a defender, he's still he's still going to be excellent. And and I think, man, he's another guy like Keldon. No matter how you go as an as an organization on the floor, he fits whatever you're going to do. And Devin Vassell, you know, I, I I'm I'm high on him as a hot you know high end role player. And I think he'll continue to be that this year as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, we know what he's good at, right? I mean, he's at his best yeah. scoring off of limited dribbles, attacking closeouts, using DHOs. He showed that he could you you know utilize screens and the pick and roll a little bit, but really I think the Spurs tried to keep the dribbling to a minimum. I know all these guys, whether it was Trey, whether it was Keldon, whether it was Devin, they all talked about, oh, you know, we've improved our handle, but once it came to game time, there's a difference between going in the gym or doing a scrimmage or an open run and being in an NBA game against NBA caliber players and Devin just didn't look that comfortable with the ball in his hands when they played the Rockets. And I believe the other, I, I don't remember what game he sat out now because it's been a couple of days. But generally, I do think he just looked better when he was working off ball, limited dribbles. And I think that's okay. He was super inefficient from three, you know, six of 24, 25%. I don't think that's going to continue. I think, again, it's a variance, really small sample size. It'll even itself out as the season goes on. But I don't think there's a lot more to talk about with Devin. There's some predictions I have later on, but we'll save those for later on. Keeping things moving, we're getting into the real young part of the roster. After this guy, or actually starting with this guy, none of these guys can legally drink in the U.S. So we'll start it off. Jordan Hall, 20 years old. Dame, I, I don't know what to say. He did not look good. He didn't look good.
0: Man, I told you how much I loved Jumbo Playmakers, man. <laughs> <laughs> and uh oh man, yeah, I don't know, man. It looks it's not looking too good for Damian Bartonic's love for for Jordan <laughs> Hall. Uh, at the same time, at the same time though it is early. I think he'll look better in the G League and, and certain reps when, you know, Blake Wesley doesn't have the ball in his hands. But at the same time, man, I never really anticipated him to make a huge impact at the NBA level. But, you know, he is, tw- you know, 20 years old on a two-way. We'll see what happens. I know you were really high on Darius Days as well, so uh, if you want to touch on kind of that whole ordeal, you can. I do like Jordan Hall still. I love Jumbo Playmakers, man, so I'm always biased.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm rooting for him because I did have him as like a mid-second round guy, so I was happy when the Spurs picked him up, but I don't know. I want to give him the benefit of the doubt because I think he works best with the ball in his hands, and that really hasn't been an opportunity he's been afforded to this point, but... If you're shooting, you know, 30% between like 10 summer league and and, uh, preseason games, it just doesn't look good. And he didn't really, you know, flash any passing or any off-ball shooting. And, I mean, you mentioned Darius Days. I thought that would have been a great signing, not because he has a ton of upside, but because you know what he brings. He can defend the three. He can defend the four. He can shoot the three ball from a standstill position. I mean... Look, Jordan Hall have all season in the G League to prove that he deserves this two-way contract, but I'm I mean, I'm rooting for him, but I just don't see it at this point. He just hasn't shown anything. Now a guy who has shown something, why don't you take the lead on this one, Josh Primo? Let's hear what you have to say about Primo.
0: Man, so I do like Josh Primo a good bit as a as a prospect, as a, a you know, a piece of this future. But I really think you're gonna to have to play the long game with him, man. I, I, I think right now I am buying into his three-point shooting ability this year. I think he'll be very good as a shooter this year, uh, but he's gonna be very good in a, in a limited amount of things like shooting. But he's gonna flash more than he's gonna be consistent. If that makes sense, he's gonna show really good upside maybe as as a creator, as a defender. But he's gonna have as many as many good things you see. He will have as many bad things. It does seem like the game comes a little bit too fast for him. And that's expected considering, you know, you could say, oh, it's a second, third year, whatever. But he's 19 years old. It feels like he's been 19 since he got into the NBA. Like, seriously, it feels like, you know, Jason Tatum was 19. And everyone's like, oh, he's 19, 19. He's Bro, Josh Primo literally has been 19 for like the last three years. It's so crazy. But, yeah, man, I, I think I think for for San Antonio, don't rush the process with this kid. Bring him off the bench. Ease him into it. He's a young guy, especially if you think – you know he he has that self creation ability and the ability to kind of bend defenses and have gravity on the ball. Don't rush that. If you know this year is not meant for championship, you know aspirations. Let him simmer. Put the put the lid on the on this on the pan and let him simmer a little bit. It's 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 fine. It's all for development.
1: Yeah, and and I think Pop just clearly wants Primo to get as many touches as possible, and so that's why I agree with you 100%. When people were saying like, oh, you know he needs to be starting. He was in the lottery, but no, he really doesn't. I mean. Trey's going to dominate touches because he's the only ball handler and playmaker who is proven on this roster. Then you got Keldon and Devin who are going to need a lot of touches as well because you're trying to see what they can do. And if all those guys are on the court at the same time, where do the touches go for Primo? So if you let him lead the second unit, I think that's the best place for him right now. Now, I think he really did showcase his pick-and-roll scoring prowess with those 23 points against OKC. Now, how much can we read into that? Because it's OKC, no Shea Gilgis-Alexander, No Chet Holmgren. They're also expected to be really bad. So, like, you got to weigh it a little bit. I do buy into some of the flashes. But to be honest, as you mentioned, you're going to see the good. You're going to see the bad. Now, I don't think people are always honest when they're evaluating Primo. I see a lot of people, oh, he did this, he did that, he had this many points. But I think you have to talk about seven fouls, eight turnovers, 41 minutes, or 42 minutes, rather, during the preseason That basically amounts to fouling out per 36 minutes and seven turnovers per 36 minutes. That is not good. That's a lot of turnovers. That's a lot of fouls. And we saw a lot of those turnovers, their live ball giveaways, a lot of those fouls and one fouls. Those are just silly mistakes. You can't be doing those. And it's okay. Like, let him learn on the job. But I think in the same breath of, like, letting him learn on the job— you don't want him to learn on the job at the expense of other prospects. And that's why I also think Trey just makes the most sense for the starting lineup. So unless you have other thoughts on Primo, really high on him as far as like his ability to get to a couple more levels. I'm not necessarily saying all-star or anything like that, but be a really serviceable player, maybe a starter level player. But unless you have other thoughts, we can keep things moving.
0: Yeah, yeah, let me just finish on Primo and then we'll go into Blake Wesley. I think with Primo, like you said, learning, you know, learn on the job. Exactly. What what boss, you know, tells your your you know, your employee, hey, learn on the job, and then when they mess up, you're gonna write him up. That's essentially what you would do if he was in the starting lineup, because it once he starts messing up and pop starts to pull him, once that confidence goes down, especially with the young player, it's gonna be kind of hard to build that back up, man. A demotion is not good for, for young players, man. Like yeah, it's just it doesn't make sense to kind of just leapfrog him into that role, especially if he's not ready. Like I said, let him simmer. I think it'll be fine. And another guy they need to do that with is Blake Wesley. Blake Wesley should not see many NBA Oof. minutes. Yeah. <laughs> right now, <laughs> I do like Blake Wesley as a prospect. I love the athletic kind of uh, the profile, like what he can do as an athlete. Think you know he's definitely all systems go as a scorer sometimes to a fault, but he is all of a young player. He looks. He looks like Josh Primo, like if Josh Primo was extremely aggressive in year one, if that makes sense. <laughs> uh, yeah, I am. I am excited to see how uh, Blake looks in Austin, uh, but he's definitely someone that I think needs to be there for for a good a good bit, and that's fine. Again, uh, last year with Primo, we were talking about, yeah, you know, let him develop, let him get those touches, you know, so no one kind of fights him for it. And it's the same thing with Blake Wesley, man. I I, I think he is very young. Let's just say that. And he his his age definitely shows on the offensive and especially on the defensive end
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm basically at this point, and this is no offense to Blake Wesley. I, I think he you're absolutely right. He needs the G league, but I'm just waiting for that PR email that PR tweet that says Blake Wesley has been assigned to the Austin Spurs. like it's he's going to be assigned to the Austin Spurs. I think it would be foolish to let him sit at the end of the bench and do a whole lot of nothing. like you know let him let him learn in the Austin Spurs system. No consequence, free reign. This dude is a guy who shot 28 31 67 shooting splits between 10 summer league and preseason games. That's horrific if we're being 100% honest, but he doesn't need to be good right now. He doesn't need to be good right now. He also beat by cutters, late on rotation, slap happy when helping on D, reaching around when, you know, being beat off the bounce. Not a lot of awareness or discipline on or off ball. Like this is not the Bash Blake Wesley show, but he needs as you mentioned time to simmer. Let him simmer. Give him time to learn. He doesn't need to be NBA ready right now. But as you mentioned, I mean, you, you're in love with the physical tools and it's easy to see why elite burst can get past anyone, break down a defense. It's just the decision making needs refinement. He needs the game to slow down. He needs to realize you don't need to kill your dribble just because you've been, you know, cut off. You can retreat dribble. You can gnash around the basket. You can survey. You do not need to shoot every time. So like Blake Wesley is a prospect. He's probably a long term guy. That's Okay. The next guy, though, Malachi Branham, I actually do think that there's a good chance that he could break into the rotation at some point as a rookie, even pretty early on, if somebody's not performing well, because he had a good preseason.
0: Yeah, I think as a scorer, he has all the tools to potentially be the the scorer on the Spurs that has the biggest bag. Uh, he can do a lot, you know, off the screens, out of the pick and roll, uh, off the bounce. The only question I've ever had with Malachi has been his athletic limitations. Really, I was a little worried in the preseason or in the summer league, rather. A little bit in the preseason, but especially in the summer league, I was like, man, if the athletic limitations are already showing themselves on defense, imagine what it's going to look like against you know actual NBA talent. Maybe I was that was a little bit of an overreaction, but at the same time, I do like what he can do offensively, and to you know to your point as well, Noah. There's definitely a shot that he can you know crack into this rotation, uh, especially as a scorer, because if this Spurs offense is kind of struggling a, a good bit to put the orange thing in the orange thing. Malachi can score at an NBA level right now. So uh, I'm I'm very excited to watch him play. And I also think, you know, maybe early on he might not play as much. But, well, it's fresh in my brain. Pop did have a a quote. Was it our last podcast talked about where he said that you're going to see a lot of guys play that like you wouldn't expect or he said something yeah, like, yeah, like earlier say, than yeah. you
1: might expect. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Earlier than I might expect. And I think Malachi is definitely a candidate for that.
1: <laughs> yeah. hundred percent. And really the number one thing that really like popped off the screen to me and it showed itself at Ohio state. He shot over 40% on catch and shoot threes at Ohio state. But during the preseason, 40% from three good volume, knocked down some shots and big moments as big of a moment can be during the preseason. You know, when it's like a close game, I know it doesn't technically count for anything, but that's like, to me, a big moment for these young guys who are trying to prove themselves. You're trying to win those preseason games. You're trying to earn minutes. I like him a lot, and we'll, we'll probably talk about him a little bit later as we get into the predictions, but the last rookie from this class, or at least the last rookie from the draft class that they actually drafted, Jeremy Sohan, Dame fans, some fans were really disappointed with him, but contrary to their opinion, I actually thought he was, pretty good really outside of the shooting the shooting was bad we knew the shooting was not going to be good everything else i thought it was pretty good did you have a you know a different take on that or did you think he looked pretty solid during the preseason
0: so for me uh and this is just respectfully too i think sometimes like when people how can i say this you know without being mean when people don't really do like their homework as much sometimes they get a little kind of overwhelmed and they think hey this player should be this this and this to, because he was drafted here right but Sohan was never a good shooter. That, that was never what we expected, right? You expected defensive versatility. You saw that. A little bit of the passing. I think you saw that. And and really, within his role in year one, that's, I think, what you should expect. You know, some solid stuff. I think as as like a little hub, maybe in like the high post or something like that, I think he could be fine there as well. You know, I think as as a finisher, he can do really well. But I think really, as a four, as like a modern four, he fits in a role that really, really, uh, I think, no matter, again, like Heldon and Devin, no matter where you go if if as an organization, I think he fits. Now, the shooting does need to come along to really kind of embody what I just said. Uh, but if he can get to that point, you know, as a 35 36% shooter, even just as a catch-and-shoot, you know, kind of player, I think that's fine. Because uh, I think he's going to be a really good defensive piece, really, really valuable as a passer, uh, you know, at the four. I am, you know, a little bit worried, you know, him and Jakob together kind of shrinking the floor a little bit. Because I think just in general, when you hear this lineup of Trey Jones, Devin, Keldon, Sohan, and Jakob, there's there's a couple yeah. things that pop out to me. know, <laughs> not to you know kind of keep rambling, but the sh- the shot creation <laughs> worries me a lot. Uh, the spacing, the shooting in particular, because nobody outside of probably Devin can shoot off of movement in that lineup. I'm 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 really curious to see how that looks, <laughs> to be honest with you. But hey. You you have on the notes here that Pop kind of wants to throw him in the frying pan. Yeah, he wants to throw him in the wok. Yeah. Put him in the wok with the with the right with the fried rice and the chicken, <laughs> and you let it cook. Put some teriyaki sauce in it because that's what Pop's gonna have him do.
1: <laughs> and he's gonna give him a long leash, right? He said he wants to give him a long leash. He can make every mistake. Like he doesn't want him to feel uncomfortable. He just wants to see what he can do and. We're going to see what Sohan can do, and I also think a lot of the things that he does don't necessarily show up in a traditional box score, right? When you go look, points, rebounds, assists, steals, blocks, some of those things are not going to show up in the in the box score in terms of him setting screens, him relocating off ball, him cutting to the basket, him diving on the floor for loose balls you know him boxing out so that other players can get rebounds and i think one of the other things that really does not show itself but it did show itself if you watch the tape having a guy who is 6 foot 8 6 foot 9ish 220 230 pounds be able to switch onto a guard make them uncomfortable enough to kick the ball back out and now you've wasted a bunch of time on the shot clock and the, the offense is having to reset that doesn't show up on a box score but it shows up on tape so i think a lot of the things he does well you're not going to see it. You know, you're not going to see it on the stat sheet, and that's okay. Jeremy Sohan, I thought he was good during the preseason. The shooting, I'm not very optimistic on. He was not a good shooter in college. There were not a lot of good indicators there, and I don't think he necessarily needs to be a good shooter to, to, to be a serviceable player. Like, and, and again, he's not Draymond Green. I'm not saying that's who he is or what he is, but if he can operate in a similar way, I think that would be really useful because just having a guy who can make passes, set screens, continue to move without the ball, like Draymond Green would not be as good if he was not playing with you know the Kevin Durant's that he played with, with the Steph Curry's that he's played with, with the Klay Thompson's he's played with, and Jordan Poole's that, he, <laughs> that he's played with. But <laughs> but you know he, Jeremy Sohan doesn't have that right now. He doesn't have those guys. But I think once you start getting those top tier talents into your team you'll start seeing him be more useful. So I wouldn't judge him too hard on his rookie year production. And with that said, the last guy, Dame, Dominic Barlow, thought he was really intriguing. We don't have to spend a lot of time on him either. He didn't really get to play that much, just two games during the preseason. But what did you like from him?
0: Versatility, bro. I think one thing that whenever the Spurs were kind of really starting this rebuild after, you know, DeMar left or even when DeMar was here, I was really kind of pounding the table for San Antonio to get a, a bunch of guys With modern skill sets, right? Versatility, something that you need in the modern NBA. And they're really taking this route. And I mean, whether it's Sohan, Barlow, Jordan Hall, you know, Branham, whether, you know, Primo, it doesn't matter who it is, Vassell, Kelvin, they they all can do a little bit of something. Isaiah Roby, right? They can all do a little bit of something. And I think Dominic Barlow's another guy, kind of really, you know, a part of that mold. So I think in Austin, it'll be really interesting to see him play. And I'm really excited to see Wesley, you know, Jordan Hall and and Barlow kind of get some minutes down there.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I don't think anything else really needs to be said about those guys. We've talked about all 17 players left on San Antonio's roster, but how about we move into these regular season team predictions? Let's start with a couple of interesting numbers from the preseason. We have a bunch of notes here. I'll let you choose which one you want to start out with. But is there anything... That really stands out to you in particular from some of the notes that we have in our rundown.
0: So I think the Spurs, you know, being among the league leaders in pace is definitely something that I can see. I think that's definitely coming. I think that's happening. A young team likes to get out there. I think Sohan likes to push the pace as well. Uh, so I'm excited to see them and how fast that they play. Another thing that really kind of sticks out <laughs> sticks out to me is the last thing. Uh, we'll probably you'll probably touch on it, but really, yeah, the playoff push. <laughs> I know last year the Spurs were in the play-in. I have a prediction later on about where I think the Spurs will led. I don't think the Spurs are having any kind of playoff push, man. I think the only push they need to be worrying about is pushing themselves into the best possible lottery position, and I think they'll do that organically. They won't need to tank. So those are the two that stick out to me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'll expand a little bit since I, I kind of wrote a lot on this note, but... Look, I, I agree. I, I don't really have any faith in them making a real playoff push. I put in the notes here, 2021 Grizzlies, who are 24.3 years old on average, 2011 Thunder, 23.9 years old on average, are the youngest teams to make the playoff since the turn of the century. Dame, the Spurs are younger than both of them. They don't have a John Morant. They don't have a Jaron Jackson. They don't have a Kevin Durant, a Russell Westbrook, or a James Harden. And San Antonio is just not in a position to make that sort of leap. They didn't make the playoffs last year. They barely made the plan by, like, the skin of their teeth. I just don't see it. You lost DeJounte. You traded him. You didn't lose him. You traded DeJounte. He was your only all-star. He was an injury replacement all-star at that. I really just don't see any possible scenario in which this team can really make a a crazy push like that. And, And having said that, Dame, DraftKings, they have the Spurs win total, 22 and a half this season. I'll go ahead and take the over. I'm going to say that they finish 25 and 57 cuz it always feels like Greg Popovich gets the most out of his guys, right? Like puts them in a good position to succeed. But what does success look like this season? It's probably not a lot of wins. So I'll toss it to you. What what is your win-loss prediction? We got pretty close last year, so I'm feeling good about this one.
0: So, it kind of I'll answer that I'll piggybacking off of the off the point right above. With the Spurs finishing, you know, second in points in the paint last season. I think they're gonna hit under on that on the on the wins because I don't think they're gonna have as many points on the paint this year. I think offensively they're gonna struggle a good bit. I know I like Trey Jones kind of facilitating that offense a little bit, but at the same time too, the spacing, the lack of shot creation, uh really, really, really kind of not bothers me, but really kind of I don't, I don't really know what to. How to I don't see a, a lot of avenues for success. You know what I mean? But I think they're gonna hit the under. I think they're gonna go twenty and sixty-two this year. Yeah, wow. I think I think they're gonna lose sixty games this year. And uh, I mean, it's it's not a big deal. I don't I don't think it's that big of a deal because of where they're headed. They they need this is what they needed for so long. So I know a lot of Spurs fans are gonna be like, oh, I'm not gonna watch games and you know blah blah. They need to win. Trust me, they're playing the long game. They're doing everything right. Just give us some time, bro. Let him, let him marinate a little bit.
1: <laughs> and pop has been honest, right? Like, yeah. he has told us this is a developmental year. This is not a year to win a championship. And, look, I, I had some skepticism last year when he said stuff, you know, stuff of similar to a similar effect. But I believe him. Like, even if he wanted to coach this team to a championship, I think it would take a miracle of God, like an <laughs> act of God to do that. And that's not like, you know, that's that's not really saying that this team is – bad from top to bottom. I actually think they have a lot of really quality players. It's just in the NBA, you can't compete without a superstar, sometimes even two, three. They don't even have one. They don't have a singular all-star. So I just think you you got to be along for the ride, for the developmental ride. And you talked about Trey Jones facilitating this offense. Look, there's only so much he can do. Last year, the Spurs set a league record, all-time league record, 2.2 to 1 assist to turnover ratio. I don't think they're going to have that sort of success. We already saw it. DeJounte Murray's gone. Trey Jones was running the backup. Now he's the starter. Josh Primo, who was number two in the G League in turnovers per game last season, is now your backup. We already saw their assist-to-turnover ratio fall to 24th out of all the teams in the preseason. It was just 1.3 to 1. Look, there's going to be more turnovers. You mentioned it. The spacing is going to be worse. I think having this many young guys is going, and and also switching to a more switch-heavy defensive system, it's going to be tough. There's just going to be a lot of holes on the roster. There's going to be growing pains. I just, Dame, I'm not really seeing, like you said, an avenue towards success. So I think those are some of our team predictions. But we can kind of get a little more fun with our player predictions because I do think that there's a lot of things to look forward to in terms of the players, especially during the regular season. So we'll provide reasoning for our, our player predictions here. But I want you to go ahead and start us off. What are some of your predictions here for points, rebounds, assists, steals, and blocks leaders for the Spurs? So for points,
0: I have Keldon Johnson, but my sleeper uh, is Devin Vassell. I think Keldon's going to see the ball a lot, especially in that starting lineup. And I think uh, kind of his, you know, for, for <laughs> lack of a better word, his bull in the china shop kind of mentality in the half court sometimes. I think he's definitely going to get to the foul line a lot. And I think he's going to be able to really kind of probably average close to 20 points, if not kind of hit that 20-point mark. Uh, But I think Devin's kind of going to be right there, right uh, under him. Because I think Devin, uh, you know, his off-ball stuff, I think kind of we'll see a little bit of self-creation stuff, hopefully. Uh, I think he'll be close to that. As far as rebounds, Yaka Pirtle. I don't think there's much of an argument. Assists, Trey Jones. Steals, Devin Vassell. Devin Vassell had 1.1 steals per game last year. I think a small uptick in that I'm expecting from him. I think he's a really solid defender, and I think he could be really, really active on and off ball. Blocks, Jakob Pirtle. And my last one for three-point percentage, I put Josh Primo. I am buying into his shot making as far as catch and shoot and off ball. I am buying into it right now. I really, really am. Uh, I do think, you know, I know in the summer league, what was it? It was on, you know, eight attempts a game. He was shooting, you know, 50 or it was a crazy amount, a crazy percentage from three, not from the few, but from three, he was fantastic. I'm, I'm buying into that. I'm buying into the fact that I think he can shoot the three ball well. And I know it's probably a hot take, but I think, you know, I think this season you're going to definitely see him shooting a lot from downtown and hopefully make it a lot. I put 39.7%. I'm, ho- I'm, I'm hovering around that 39, 40% range.
1: That's interesting. I guess I'll go in inverse order. I'll start with my three-point percentage. I'm going back to Doug McDermott. I think he's old faithful. He was among the league leaders in three-point percentage a season ago. He's over 40% for his entire career. I guess the reason I'm not really buying into Primo is most, I mean, and I do buy into his shooting potential. I just mean in terms of leading the entire team is just because I think he'll have so many on-ball reps and be asked to self-create so often that his three-point percentage will be dragged down by some of his attempts coming off of screens or off isolations. or I just don't see it holding up that way. And like even going back to college, you know, 38% in college, I think it was 34% in the Austin Spurs system last year, and then in the NBA it was like 29%. So it would be a pretty tremendous jump. I'm not saying he can't get there. I do think that he has a ton of shooting potential, probably the most on the team, but... I'm gonna stick with Doug. I'm though. I'm right there with you though. With, with blocks and rebounds, it's gonna be Jakob Purtle. I mean, I don't. I don't see anyone else competing for that. Assists, Trey Jones, points, Keldon Johnson, for all the reasons that you mentioned. The only place I'm gonna differ from you here is I'm also gonna go Trey Jones for steals. I think Devin Vassell will definitely be like right there with him, or he may even beat him for that. I think he is the possible. They're like one two for me, but I'm thinking he's probably gonna take over a more aggressive defensive identity because I think a lot of times he was a little bit passive last year like he was a little bit of a pest in the pick and roll at the point of attack but I think if the Spurs want to create easy offense I think they'll be okay with Trey Jones gambling a bit for steals and the passing lanes on ball and trying to get out and run transition because again we saw one of the things that they were good at during the preseason turning You know turnovers into points, getting out on the fast break, running in transition, and I think if Trey Jones can be aggressive, and I think they're going to ask him to do so. We saw him lead them in steals during the preseason, and that was just with like 20 minutes per game. So I could see him doing that, and at the same time, I could see Devin Vassell leading it too. So yeah, they're like really neck and neck. But Dame, before we close things out, I want a few bold predictions from you this season. So. You're going to start us off with some of your hot takes. What are your bold predictions for the 2022-2023 San Antonio Spurs?
0: All right, my first one, I have already didn't show my <laughs> hand. I think the Spurs will finish with a bottom three record in the NBA. I think I've kind of elaborated on that enough. While I do like them, um, you know, and kind of where they're headed, I think right now is a developmental year, and I think we're going to see a lot of those developmental struggles (laughs) this season. (laughs) I think the Spurs will also finish top 20 in attendance, though, despite having a record that isn't favorable, whether it's from a promotional side of things or I think just in general the fan base, even though they're kind of where they're at right now, the fan base does seem very excited for this season. It's kind of weird, especially judging from Twitter and judging from, you know, Facebook and Reddit. It does seem like people are definitely interested in the Spurs, uh, and I'm excited to see them pack out the Alamo Dome, too. That's going to be really, really cool. I think Jeremy Sohan will make the all-rookie team. I think maybe, what well, probably the second team, but I think he's going to make the all-rookie team. Really, I think he'll probably average something like 10, you know, probably six rebounds, three assists, you know, kind of like a really, uh, it looks pedestrian stat line, but like you mentioned he does a lot of things that don't really show up on, on the box score, right? And then I think the Spurs, I know we're not going to talk about Wemby, but I think the Spurs <laughs> are going to end up with a top two pick in the NBA draft, man. Those are those are my predictions.
1: <laughs> Honestly, I can't say I disagree with like any of those bold predictions. I do think that they'll be slightly better than the bottom three. I think they'll be closer to like five or six, but everything else, to me, it makes sense. And what, the one that you have in here that really stands out to me is the top 20 in attendance, and... I think that Spurs fans are excited for this season despite knowing they're probably going to be bad because of the transparency. You know, we, yeah. we've talked about it like in years past. It's like, you know, what are you? What are you doing? Are you competing for the playoffs? Are you trying to win a championship? Are you tanking? Are you like, what are you doing? Who are you? And when you try to get transparent answers, like, you know, what is the goal? It's like, well, the goal is always to win. You know, the classic like pop, Yo, know, we're winning. That's what we're trying yeah, to do. But yeah, yeah. I think now they've been so transparent that it's like, The youth movement, the rebuild, it's full speed ahead. There's nothing to hide. So like fans know what to expect and they can get excited for that. They have something to look forward to. And that thing is that top two pick you predicted. So (laughs) I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to growth. My bold predictions, I'm not sure that they're too bold. I also have Jeremy Sohan making an all-rookie second team. I also think it's going to be a a case where he's the first rookie for the Spurs to do that since... Kawhi Leonard in 2012. So I think that would be kind of a morale boost. It may not really mean anything in the the grand scheme of things, but I think that it's a big deal. Like, that's something that fans can get excited for. I also think Josh Primo and Jeremy Sohan will probably make the Rising Stars game. That'll be the first time that the Spurs have had multiple participants in that event since Tiago Splitter and Kawhi Leonard in 2012. My other one, now, this is probably the one that I'm least confident about, but I really want it to come true. Devin Vassell finishing top five, most proved player of the year award. I hope it happens. I think that there's going to be a chance, right? He's going to have more touches. There's going to be more shots. There's going to be a higher usage. He's going to have more minutes. His role is going to be expanded this season. He's a full-time starter now. He is part of this team established as a core piece. I think it could happen. And, And then finally, I think they're going to break the record for youngest starting lineup in NBA history. I know I tweeted it out the other day. The Suns have that record right now. It's like something like 21 years old in 31 days. The Spurs have five 19 year olds on the roster. They could like shatter that record. Even if they didn't play any of those guys until the final game of the season, they would still blow that record out of the water. So I know it doesn't mean a lot, but I think that pop at a certain point will be like, yeah, this season we need to rest some guys (laughs) down the stretch. You young guys, your legs are spry. Let's get five 19-year-olds in there. I think it's going to happen. But those are all of my bold predictions. I think that's all we've got for this week. So, Dame, thank you so much for hopping on the mic with me. I know it's a little bit later than we usually record. So why don't you go ahead, plug anything you want, let people know where they can find you on social media, where they can find your basketball content, your football content, your news network content. So... The floor is yours, man.
0: Yeah, man. Thanks for bringing me on, bro. You know, I love it. And, uh, you know, we're both really, really busy for all the listeners. we got a lot going on, especially with Noah. Noah's, you know, awesome engagement photos, and I'm graduating, <laughs> you know, in December. we got a lot going on, but it's definitely, you know, we definitely thank everyone for listening. Uh, y'all can follow me on Twitter at D-A Bartonic, at uh, D-A-B-A-R-T-O-N-E-K. I do a lot of sports content, uh, a lot of just a lot of content in general. I love MMA, so UFC 280 is coming up. So if you like (laughs) MMA, follow me for that. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, brother, thanks for having me, bro.
1: Of course. And you can follow me at N underscore Magaro, M-A-G-A-R-O on Twitter. My YouTube channel is fully back up and running. We're doing film studies on there. We're going to try to do a couple a week during the season, so you can follow that. That's just my name, Noah Magaro George. You can find us both on Pounding the Rock. And before we close things out, I made a bet with my mom. She's in one of my fantasy football leagues. She beat me. She said if I if, if if I lost that I had to give her a shout out on the podcast. So shout out to my mom. She said I had to say her full name: Catherine Jordan Magaro George. So. Congrats to her. She got the win. (laughs) But again, thank you so much for joining us. And thanks to everybody who tuned in for this edition of Alamo City Limits. And for those of you listening at home, make sure to subscribe. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We've got a phenomenal staff of writers over at Pounding the Rock who do a wonderful job of keeping everybody up to date with their favorite team. So check our stuff out. But until next time, Spurs fans, take care.